The Lord be with you and also with you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We welcome you to Marsh Chapel on this Sunday as we join together in scripture and song and praise of God. Whether you are seated here in the nave of the chapel, listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the greater Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org or listening later via podcast, please know that you are a valued part of our community. My name is the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, and I have the pleasure of serving as the University Chaplain for Episcopal Ministry here at Marsh Chapel. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is traveling this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today we gather for the Epiphany of our Lord with our special guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Jessica Chica. Jess serves as university chaplain for international students. We gather today to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace and love which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in praise of God. Let us pray. 
Oh God, by the leading of a star, you manifested your only Son to the peoples of the earth. Lead us who know you now by faith to your presence, where we may see your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We now enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and the things we have left undone that might burden us throughout our days. As the choir sings the Kyrie, let us pray. we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A reading from a lesson from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They will come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Epah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant, according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 72 with the antiphon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. May the rulers of Tarshish and the isles render him tribute. May the rulers of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all rulers fall down before him. All nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Glory to you, O Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at the rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search dil diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the, the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Good morning. Well, we made it through another holiday season. In this past week, many of us have taken down our Christmas decorations and reclaimed space taken up by Christmas trees, restoring our living spaces to their normal appearance. Indeed, here at Marsh Chapel, our festive greenery and tree have been removed, reminding us that the Christmas season has ended. Most of us have returned to our regular schedules after holiday celebrations, gathering with friends and family, traveling or attempting to travel in some cases, and perhaps having the time to lose yourself in, an, in the ease of a week without a schedule, if you were so lucky to have that time off. As we readjust to life in 2023, a new year, we can easily fall back into the routinization of our existence. Wake up, feed, feed ourselves and maybe others, commute to and from work, go to work or school, have some time with others, tend to ourselves, go to sleep. Life in January, and sometimes the coldest time of year in Massachusetts, although not this year for some reason, can turn into a drudgery. This time after Christmas can be somewhat of a letdown. I'm reminded of my mother, who always bemoans the fact that society wants her to move on so quickly from Christmas as soon as de December 25th is over. Many folks take their decorations down on December 26th. Holiday programming stops on many TV networks shortly after the 25th ends. People move on to preparing for the new year and leave the giving nature of Christmas behind. But here, in church, we are reminded that Christmas tidings are just the beginning of our church year. As has often been quoted by Dean Hill time and time again, Howard Thurman's poem, The Work of Christmas, reminds us that once the celebrations of the holiday have ended, our work as Christians starts. When the song of the angels is still, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, to make music in the heart. Today we celebrate the epiphany of our Lord, a day which typically signals the end of the Christmas season. While epiphany was on this past Friday, January 6th, as it always is, today we will recognize our entry into this season of the church calendar. Epiphany is the time of, 
in the year when we focus on the manifestation of God's grace and love in the world and have time to reflect on what Jesus' presence in the world means for us. In the lectionary, the list of appointed readings for each Sunday in the church year, typically this Sunday is a celebration of the baptism of our Lord. Often, unless there is a separate church service set aside for January 6th, or if Epiphany happens to fall on a Sunday, we don't read the texts appointed to this day. <laughs> Perhaps that's why our understanding of the Magi's travels to Bethlehem have been somewhat distorted over time. How many of you didn't really pay attention to the gospel as it was read because you thought, oh, I know this one. It's one of the greatest hits from the Bible. The wise men go to the manger, they bring Jesus gifts. How many of you were a little surprised listening to Matthew's account of this well-known story? The truth is the account from Matthew is a little more political than we remember, while also a little bit vaguer about timelines and the identity of the Magi. The story of the Magi may have indelible memories for us. Some may think of the nativity scene figures of the three men carrying gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, sometimes depicted as kings or wise men coming up from the east to pay homage to the baby Christ child in the manger. In my family growing up, we were very careful with the nativity scene. Our figures were made from olive wood, the manger itself was made of natural materials, including moss and sticks. The baby Jesus didn't arrive in the manger until Christmas Eve. The wise men certainly did not arrive from the east until Epiphany. The timing of these apparitions made it clear to us that the story of Christ's birth and the significance it would hold for the whole world. The figures were more than just a decoration. They were an educational device used to remind us that there was a progression of events leading to the revelation of Christ's divinity and kingship. While our traditional understanding of the three wise men still offers us a valuable account for recognizing the importance of Jesus' birth, the source material offers us much more. First, story doesn't necessarily say that there were three of them. Secondly, if you go back to the actual word that's used for them, not in our translation today uh, in the gospel, but the original word, magi, it doesn't necessarily mean wise men. It doesn't necessarily mean kings, either. They aren't identified as any of these things. Some scholars believe that the Magi followed Zoroastrianism, or at the very least, they were astrologers. They consulted the movement of the stars as guide and as a way of interpreting the world around them. In their day, they were not as revered as we might assume, but instead were outsiders from the mainstream. Their approaches to religious observance were not the norm, especially coming into Jerusalem and eventually to Bethlehem. For them to be the ones to recognize Jesus for who he is speaks to the kind of ministry Jesus will lead, reaching those who are on the margins of society. Their appearance also speaks to God's power, as they heed the message told to them in their dreams to not return to Herod, but to go another way home after visiting Jesus. God comes to them, even though they are not affluent, powerful, or members of the Jewish community. In contrast, King Herod stands as a threat to Jesus. Herod rules over the land and has political ties to Rome. He feels threatened by the arrival of one who is the Davidic Messiah, a child whose coming seems to be foretold in the scriptures. Additionally, it is not only Herod who is frightened by the news of Jesus' birth, but the whole of Jewish society in Jerusalem, particularly the chief priests and scribes. They understand that this occurrence has significance when looking at the scriptures. A change in the status quo of the power dynamics could be happening if the news about Jesus' birth is true. Herod and all those in charge don't know what this will mean for their status. The Magi appear in Jerusalem because they assumed royalty would be born in such an important place. When offered the chance to help the Magi, Herod provides them with a sort of quid pro quo. In order to get them the information they need, Herod requests a report back from these traveling astrologers. Upon confirming the location of the birth of such a child through the chief priests and scribes, Herod instructs the Magi to return to him with the exact location. He states that, it's so he may also go pay homage to this king. 
We know, however, that Herod has ulterior, ulterior harmful motives for this information. Herod's power is threatened by this new king. His fear in losing power will later lead to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus fleeing to Egypt to escape his cruelty after he orders all the male children two years of age and under to be killed. This retelling of Epiphany is much more violent and political than we, what we share in our basic nativity scene. But it highlights the fact that God's incarnation through Jesus subverts the powers as they stand. Nothing about Jesus' birth or this interaction with the Magi is how it should be if it were to be dictated by the norms of Jewish society in this time frame. The arrival of Jesus is a shakeup, a disruption of power. As we observed throughout Luke's gospel in the previous church year, the reign of the kingdom of God comes to lift the lowly, free the prisoner, heal the sick, and seek justice for the oppressed. The light that Jesus brings into the world illuminates the dark places and allows us to see things for how they really are. It is able to bring those from afar who are completely foreign to God's reality and show them God's power. It demonstrates what power and corruption can do, the violence it can bring out in those who feel threatened or those who feel afraid of change. It shows everyday people that they can and should have hope because God loves the world so much that God becomes incarnate. The Reverend William Flippin, Jr., an ELCA pastor in the Southeastern Pennsylvania Synod, sums up this subversive story much more succinctly than I can. Quote, Jesus, the light of the world, starts life as a political refugee. Our Savior is spirited out of the country on back roads, traveling RWM, that's riding while a messiah. The infant Jesus is given a head start by the Magi, pagan people of color, who defy an imperial edict and disobey King Herod's command that they report back to him after completing their visit to the infant Jesus, thereby involving themselves in civil disobedience and political subversiveness. In the light and darkness of Epiphany, we are called to be spiritual and political activists to perpetuate the true revelation that Jesus is the light of the world, the light that not only illuminates, but also reveals and uncovers those things done in the dark." Unquote. One other thing that might seem obvious to us, but is reiterated throughout our scripture readings today, particularly in the Gospel and Paul's letter to the Ephesians, is that the Incarnation brings together people of all backgrounds. Epiphany is about revealing the true nature of Jesus, his divinity and status as Lord of all, as the Magi, who come from a different land, have Jesus' holy nature revealed to them. Indeed, the whole of Matthew will end with the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. In Ephesians, Paul emphasizes that the message of the gospel is for the Gentiles and that it is his task to deliver it to them. The message of the grace of God comes for everyone, not just for those who hold power. God's care for the world as a whole is what brings Jesus into being. As an increasingly globalized community, the message here is not to create divisions over belief or identity, but that the kingdom of God is available to all. The kingdom of God is unlike anything we can imagine, but it has the power to unite rather than divide. Let us not be sucked into the language of insider and outsider, but rather willing to receive others and meet them where they are. God reveals the location of Jesus to the Magi through the stars, an aspect of their own tradition. God meets the Magi where they are in order to reveal God's self to them. There is no expectation that the Magi will listen or necessarily follow what God does, as there is no coercion present in the story, but God appears to them through a dream to issue them a warning. They choose to accept and recognize the nature of what is presented to them in the form of the Christ child. Jesus' birth creates a new way of being for the world continuously, something we also experience in our own baptisms, as each day we live into the reality of being claimed as God's own. Epiphany, then, is not just a day on the Christian calendar. It is a whole season that urges us to constantly be aware of the unfolding and illuminating discovery of God's manifestation in the world. 
It is a global invitation to come face-to-face with the revelation of God in the world. The frenzied feeling of the holidays may be behind us, but it is the threshold into a season that brings to light the ways in which God shows up in the world through Jesus. Our task is to take the hope found in a child in the most unlikely of circumstances who comes to redeem us and use it to fuel our desire to realize God's kingdom on earth. What will our epiphany experience be this year? Will it be sudden, like the star appearing in the sky to lead the Magi? Or will it be a slow unfurling, like the way God continues to show love and grace in the world? Maybe we've already had experiences like these in our lives. Have we been willing to share these portions of our faith journeys with others, providing an entry point into spiritual lives for people who may have not may yet have not had any experiences with God in their life? How can we meet people where they are to share in God's love and have epiphany moments of their own? One way that we can prepare ourselves for our personal or collective epiphanies and be reminded of those we've experienced is through worship. Hearing the scriptures, really listening to the way Jesus ministers to others can help us better connect ourselves with God's presence in the world. At times, this might be challenging, as Jesus' ways cause us to resist his message because it challenges our conceptions of ourselves. It may call on us to question powers that be, the powers that benefit us, for the good of those who are oppressed by those powers. It may cause us to completely change course as God appears to the Magi and led them home a different way. But at the same time, it may reveal something new to us that will help us to alter our worldview to one that is closer to God's kingdom. Remaining open to the possibilities of the hope found in the birth of Jesus. When we encounter these epiphany moments, whether they are sudden or drawn out, we can better identify God's work in the world. We come back to Thurman's writing again. The work of Christmas is found in Epiphany. The ministry we can offer to others through seeking justice, shedding light on systems of oppression, helping to heal the broken, and finding peace. At a time when we are returning back to the routines of our lives, making ourselves available to spontaneous epiphanies, or to recognize those slowly developing epiphanies in our lives becomes even more important. In conclusion, I'd like to share a prayer offered by the women of the ELCA and their resource Epiphany Unfolding the Discovery. This prayer is meant to serve as a guide through this holy season, urging us forward in hope. May we find hope in each day as we settle into the season of, of Epiphany, when our lives return to their normal hustle and bustle, and it is easy to overlook the ways in which God is revealed. Let us pray. May we each day open the window of our worlds, inviting the fresh light of Epiphany to flood us with hope, to bring fresh insight, and to fill us with grateful joy. May we see the world around us with new creation eyes, filled with potential and brimming with promise. May our lives be a continuous unfolding into God's grace, revealing new vistas that expand our faith horizons. In Jesus' name we pray, and by his name we are saved. Amen.
You may be seated. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he advised, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So let us heed his advice and pray. You are welcome to stand, remain seated, or come forward to kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord. God of grace and glory, you are our God. We praise you and give thanks to your holy name for your boundless love and faithful mercy. We celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Great is your faithfulness, for although we succumb to temptation, you are slow to anger and rich in love. And because of your steadfast love and grace, we are not consumed by sin. And so, merciful God, we testify to your unfailing love and your grace of full redemption. You gave us Jesus Christ, who gave up so much that we could have much, providing the path to salvation through his suffering and death on the cross. Perfect is your faithfulness. For though we continue to sin time after time, we ask for your forgiveness, and you have never retracted the opportunity for redemption. Faithful and just God, forgive us for the sins we confess today. We commit ourselves to you and ask that you cleanse us of unrighteousness so that we freely offer our grace and eagerly share our abundance of time, wealth, knowledge, and love with others. God, our refuge and strength, we ask for your comfort. We pray for those who are enduring floods, tornadoes, extreme snow, droughts, and extreme heat. Comfort them, Lord, and give them the strength to persevere. We pray for the sick, the dying, and those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Comfort them, Lord, with your presence. God of peace and love, abide with us and help us to aim for perfection as you define it, loving one another as you love us. Light of the world, open our eyes and free us from darkness. We pray for peace in families, in communities, and among nations. We pray for government officials, both elected and appointed. Abide with them and direct their paths to justice and righteousness as they govern, judge, and legislate. With faith, faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, we pray to you with boldness and the confidence that you are near to all who call you in truth. We pray these things in the name of love's pure light, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now as a community of faith, we pray together as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us with gladness bring before the Lord the first of the fruit of the everything that God has given us. Merciful God, everything in heaven and earth belongs to you. We joyfully release what you have entrusted to us. May these gifts be signs of our whole lives returned to you. 
dedicated to the healing and unity of all creation. Through Jesus Christ, amen. dear friends, a word of benediction. May God bless and keep us. May God's face shine on us and be gracious to us. May God look on us with favor and give us peace.